Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Tom, wine or beer? Still beer, but as I approach my 40s, probably going to wine pretty soon, Kevin. So you're moving down the spectrum of the beer-wine continuum. You're moving toward the wine. You're becoming a moderate on the question. Yes, there are days where I I want just a a glass of wine, but so far – I am still team beer. Okay. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm 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 wine all the way. Tastes great, less filling. I mean, I will I will enjoy an IPA. I, I I like I used to like the Hefeweizen with a little wedge of lemon, you know, kind of Seattle Portland style. But the calorie pleasure ratio has never been there for beer. If I'm going to ingest that many calories, I'm having a slice of pizza. is pack your knives i'm kevin arnovitz and i'm tom haverstroh 
Tom, Final Four. Great Final Four, by the way. I mean, I, I think when we talked about doing this season, you know, it wasn't just that Tom Colicchio said this is sort of the, the pinnacle of Top Chef, at least their favorite season. Um, but also, I think the foursome itself, like it's not just production, it's not just the competition, like those four chefs are just really fun chefs to watch. It is an appealing style of play to have these four folks in the finale. Yeah, and um, just breaking down the numbers, it's it's pretty even. We, we have Jen in the finale, you know, part one, and she's kind of the quick fire queen. She's won four quick fires. She's only got one elimination challenge win, but she's been in the top three five times. She's got a whole bunch of quick fires. Kevin is probably the favorite going into Napa because he had four wins, seven top three finishes, only one loss. Got four quick fires, so he's a little bit more versatile. And unlike Brian, who hasn't had a quick fire win, um, you know, Kevin does both. He wins elimination challenges and he wins quick fires. But Michael Voltaggio, you know, he's got nine top three finishes. He does have a one bottom three finish. And we we hear from Brian Voltaggio at the end of this episode saying, you know, I've never been on the chopping block. Essentially, he is right. He's never been in the bottom. He's never lost, um, obviously. And so when we go into this episode, we're talking about four people who have significantly outperformed the rest of the crew. So when you're assessing before the season, Tom Coligio says there, there could have been eight people who could won the, won this entire season. I don't think that's accurate. I think it was four. And maybe he was saying, you know, uh, Mike Isabella, Eli, Ash, whoever it might be, were, you know, capable of winning, even if they didn't win an elimination challenge. But these these four are like they could be performing on Top Chef Masters. That's how good they are. Yeah, I mean, it's just a really impressive group. Uh, you know, I'm saying like, I, I don't know, you know, is Kevin the favorite because I, I don't know that we count quick fires in assessing favorites just because it is such a standalone like like let's talk about the quick fire just in general forget season six forget season 17 just it's a really interesting vehicle right we feel as viewers that we're vested we feel it's important we want to know who wins yet it's interesting in that it has no it's value to the overall standings or if you will or not even standings you know the the competitiveness. I mean, who who's going to win and who's going to lose this competition? It, I don't. I mean, I'm sure there's some correlation. Obviously, if you are a good quick fire chef over time, you are much more likely to win. But and if you're and the same goes if you're lost. But but it's really about confidence. It's really about. I mean, these are essentially exhibitions, Tom. And yet we love quick fire. I mean, it, it's a truly it's a testament to the series itself that they can spend the first 20 minutes of an episode on something that has no impact on winning or losing. Yeah, they'll throw you some money once in a while or you get a set of pots or pans and, and that's not nothing, but it doesn't impact winning or losing when you review the season in terms of placement and, 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 and win place and show. Yeah, it's just uh, in the early seasons, it's a way for lesser competitors to get some out to get some wins you know it's it's an opportunity for people to catch lightning in a bottle and and get some you know immunity or get it's a nice little competition you're right it's it's more of an exhibition i do think that there's some talent a skill in doing quick fires that might not be 
uh, you know, you, you can be Brian Voltaggio and win the whole damn thing without winning a quick fire because he's, he's just a really good chef at like putting together an, a meal. Now, I do think Kevin deserves a lot of kudos for the ability to think quickly and to con- conceptualize a dish in 30 minutes. Um, but on this particular one, he kind of um, – the motion sickness yeah. got to him a little bit. Wasn't his one best thing performance. I would like – right. Just to go back real quick, one thing I would love our friends at Top Chef Stats that I would love to know and I suspect you would like to know, whether we're talking about a top competitor, middle, or even a – mediocre competitor does a quick fire win correlate does it have a is there a bounce is there a quick fire bounce is it otherwise average contestant in the week or two following a quick fire win more likely to have their biggest success in elimination in other words that's something we always in the interviews hear contestants say like oh it gives me confidence it feels great to win a quick fire you know i can go forward now and uh, and i'm just curious if there is truth to that is is perception reality on that one does a quick fire win translate into you know success in the in the subsequent let's say one or two weeks after you do it well i i think if you're looking Eli at Eli would be the best example, right? Like Eli won a quick fire in week eight and then finished high in nine and 10. Yes. And obviously if you are getting immunity, you're more likely to get wins in the subsequent rounds because you're still around. Right. Um, so it might be a little bit of that going on in there. If they do show that there is some value to winning quick fires, it might just be because that intrinsic lock it in, immunity factor but th- i do think that it, separate from that there's probably a little bit of a a high that you get um a little bit of confidence booster that allows you to feel more empowered to do certain dishes that might be a false positive that might be giving you f- empty um confidence which is probably not good either so i think i think when we talk about kevin gillespie uh riding on a train he probably knows it's is you know kind of low stakes. Do I want a Prius? Maybe, but to me, his focus and all of the four contestants has to be on that meal that later that night. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, you know, it, 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 into our to the previous point, right? Like at this point, it's not like winning or losing a quick fire is going to convince you that you're either all powerful or vulnerable, right? Like at this point in the competition, there's no immunity. You know, it's just really if you if you brick the quick fire, it ain't like it's you're going to have trouble in the elimination. It doesn't really say anything at this point. It's a convention of the show. We enjoy it. I mean, this wasn't my favorite quick fire. Um, And and it was funny that the mistakes were all predictable. One of the big top chef issues is always you didn't highlight the ingredient. You didn't highlight the ingredient as sort of reason number one in in it's sort of a quick fire. We want you to use whatever it is, right? I mean, the cactus or I remember one. And so I I feel like, you know, watching Brian Veltaggio look like a nice plate didn't highlight the ingredient. No, he – but Kevin, I thought they they said he didn't get enough grape in there, which is weird. Like Kevin – Kevin, all I saw was grape and yet they said it wasn't enough grape in there. And let me just say – that dish from Michael Voltaggio was like a, a, a the perfect Top Chef quick fire dish. Oh, it's fantastic! Oh my man. god! Like the, how did he come up with that? I mean, it was it was well, it was inventive. It was uh, an homage to you know um, 
grape leaves filled with rice, a, a domates, a Greek dish. And I was just like, the fact that he came up with that and executed in 30 minutes and it tasted good. What? I, I love how you just said domates, like a little, little Greek. Act. You're like one of those NPR anchors. That like slips immediately Barcelona. into, yeah, like 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 when they're doing the thing, they just get it's standard Tom Brokaw English, and then they go like like Maria Ikinahosa, um, and you just you did the kind of the Greek version of that. Yeah, and and I looked at, I mean, when I saw him do that dish, I was like, see, that's what Mike Isabella should have been doing in previous episodes. Was when he said he was a, doing a Greek dish, do the Greek dish. That was very much inspired by. Um, by a Greek dish, and he actually executed it. Um, I, I'm gonna say for the entire episode, Kevin. I don't know about you, but I thought the food looked so good. Like the rest of the meal, um, we'll talk about in a bit. But um, all of these dishes they made, I don't know whether it was the Napa ingredients, but it looked so delicious. Uh, the dishes, and I don't know about you, I am not a grape connoisseur. So when I'm watching them decide between Cabernet grapes and Concord grapes, I don't really know what I'm dealing with here. Have have you kind of gone down the whole like, like raw grape, not like in terms of wine, but have you dealt with, do you have like preferred grapes? Yeah. I mean, the one grape that is just so delicious right now, actually, in the last couple months is, I, so I'm very into these Kyoho grapes. It's like they're these massive purpley kind of grapes. Origin, I think, is is, is sort of Japanese. They're a little bit concordy in the sense that you know what I love is like when a when a natural grape tastes like Welch's grape juice. <laughs> you know, like, like that's kind of what I'm going for. Like I, I want like like I want natural artificial grape flavor. Um, now that's not true of my wine or anything, but I, I, I'm saying it just in the grape. And I mean, the only thing is, is they have this like a shit ton of seeds. But it is oh, no. so like the the Kyoho grape is just it's my favorite. And they're also expensive. Like they give you this little plastic box and it's like that'll be twelve dollars. And it's like, I mean, that's a lot for grapes. But um yeah, the Kyoho grape is my personal favorite. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not very esteemed in my uh in my grape knowledge, but I will say all of these dishes looked looked really good. And I was surprised that Kevin had a uh, a ding for his um honey and fromage dessert because I was like, that actually looks like it's full of grapes. And then Brian does the roasted hen with Brussels sprouts and the re- reduction um of the Concord grape. And I guess the bacon overpowered it, but that's a dish I would eat in a half a second. And then Jen does the chicken livers with um with clams and you know that was a classic gen dish is i think mike chirello said i want that on my menu and she's like yeah go for it i really thought she was gonna win for that i mean i will say the one thing that kevin might have done is is some of those like some of those yellow grapes sometimes just get they're just not that strong and it's just not grapey you know it's i guess that's texture or whatever and that's probably i think where he went wrong and i guess that's where kevin should have tasted the grapes before he chose them. Like, I almost feel like that you can't blame Kevin for that. But then if you have an assortment of eight and you choose the one that doesn't have any flavor, that's on you. So that's right. Um, And what I loved about this is Michael Voltaggio, when they announced that the Prius car was coming through, I could almost see Michael Voltaggio's face being like, really? I don't really know if I want to drive a Prius. <laughs> like, it, I, I didn't notice that, but it totally makes sense now that you mentioned it. Yeah, he was like, oh, what, what's it? Is it $35,000? Is it a trip to Napa? It's a 
2010 P- Prius. And you see like the react, they pan to the reactions and Michael Voltaggio is just like, uh, like nodding his head. Like not like on, it's, it, this isn't Price is Right when they wheel out the yacht, right? Um, and so of course, who wins the quick fire? Michael Voltaggio. Right. It's almost like it is the Price is Right where you get like the appliance set that, you know, it's always <laughs> like the first showcase. <laughs> you know the shitty showcase oh i get a, a was, dishwasher yeah. and uh a dryer great yeah all right and the next person gets like a corvette a new car <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly um but so that yeah i mean I, I like that we're in napa i love those sort of california farmers markets um they were clearly so excited for the produce and this is where i'm a total california chauvinist like it is just the best thing about living here is just the weekly farmers markets and just and also they just have everything you know yeah. like there's always my frustration i mean atlanta is you know it's warm weather it's pretty moderate you can get some good stuff but it's like when i go home and i want to like cook it's like i can never find what i want like where's the delicata squash i don't know and eh, those look like tennis like elongated tennis balls they're too they're not heavy they're you know I, I never get what i want and it's just one of those nice things about living here even though i love other places it's just that produce is awesome yeah, and the and the um the elimination challenge was, you know, everything that they put on a plate, it was so beautiful. It was just all the colors were popping and I'm so jealous of you, Kevin, out there. Yeah, it is it is really nice. Um so like the elimination, we're starting to get to that point where they give them a very wide berth. Mm-hmm. There are not a lot of rules. Okay, go get locally sourced foods. And by the way, we're only offering you locally sourced. I mean, it is almost a preamble to the final where you just get to kind of roll out your food without a lot of limitations. And, you know, and I, I always find that fun. I mean, I do think there are, I, I think an elimination challenge with a couple of, uh, you, you know, restraints can be fun, you know, watching them struggle over coals in the snow. Like, I, I mean, that, that, that works a little bit or do vegetarian, but I do love kind of, Hey, it's freestyle. Just go. Because I just think you get the best expressions of them, which is kind of what I want. Yeah. And in, the, in this particular one, they made them do a vegetable uh, dish for 150 people and then a local protein dish. Um, Kevin, like, like the vegetable dishes they produce, they all look so good. I, I'm asking you now because I know in your head you were just beside yourself, probably watching watching them make this dish. But uh, the Voltaggio brother. So, which one would you rather have the um, the egg dish with the 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 I mean, I guess the raw egg um, that he put in with that that pea stew, or the Brian Voltaggio's goat cheese ravioli with shiitake on top. I mean, so, so like my heart wants the ravioli, but you know what I'll take. You know, I, I do love I, I do love an egg in anything. I mean, it was a really interesting dish. I mean, I would say there is nothing better than like kind of sweet squash inside a goat rabbit like a goat cheese ravioli i mean that that is that is kind of what i want it's you know again if, if calories aren't counting i mean I, i'm just one of those guys who like i, I will do pasta there when, when i go to a couple different places i'm doing a pasta like we have this um you know we have a local place that we like if i go down to bestia i'm doing that but um i i i generally will go i i, I probably would order michael's more times out of 10, but I will mm-hmm. enjoy Brian's more or be more, I'll find it more alluring. 
Yeah, because I was like, ooh, egg dish, egg, egg focused dishes here, egg forward dishes here. I bet Kevin's Kevin's excited about this because I I looked at that um, uh, Michael Voltaggio's dish and I just said, oh, that looks awesome. And you know when you when you have the um, pea stew with the with the tomato uh, soup um, with the egg in it, I maybe maybe there's a there's a texture issue there that uh Padma kind of mentioned is that there's a little bit of the undercooked um egg white surrounding the the egg yolk and that probably is a little off-putting but I thought that was a It risk. is off-putting and I say this as someone who loves my scrambled eggs underdone like I have wet eggs but to me like the I, I I'm always like when I when I don't nail a, a good sort of fried egg it's when you have that little slime of egg white kind of still on top and it just it just kind of screws up a, an egg dish like even if you get the nice runny golden egg you're still dealing with it it's basically just dilutes the entire thing mm-hmm. and so i imagine that might have been a problem though i i mean i do love like a good tomato soup i mean i i just still one of the more kind of just homey dishes that are out there it's i i do love a tomato soup what do you think about the um the foie gras terrine with the turnip thing um turnip looks like a pear pear looks like a turnip i what do you think who doesn't love oh, who doesn't love foie gras terrine <laughs> that, that is such that is low-hanging fruit for me that is what we love um we order that if it's on the menu there is a hundred percent chance that is going to be a starter for us if if there's like chanterelles or shiitake mushrooms or any sort of mushrooms on a menu i'm almost 100 percent going for it i wonder there's this thing in fantasy football or fantasy baseball where there's an mvp um they they look through i don't know if you're aware of this they look through all the winning teams in fantasy football that year and which player is the most common amongst those winning teams so it's almost like the MVP of fantasy is someone who picked up off a wave wa- waiver wire and became one of the best players in the league, right? And I'd I'd imagine if you did a what's the MVP of a menu in terms of you and I going out to a hundred restaurants, what is the common denominator on the dishes we order? Is like a foie gras terrine like number one on that list, or or what ingredient do you think is the most common thing that is included in in a Kevin Arnovitz order? You know, you and I match up very well, right? Because foie gras, I lo- so I'm living with someone who's not a mushroom guy, so I've had to just sort of not abandon it, but it's just not something I'm going to get. Whereas I always gravitate to the mushroom starter. I love earthy mushrooms. Um, I'm still a guy who loves a crudo, as I know you do. Like mm-hmm. in the starters, in the starter of a, you know, the restaurants we go to, like I'm, I'm generally going to get the crudo. We'll generally avoid the carby um, option unless it is foie gras over some, you know, so a brioche or something like we'll, we'll tolerate that. Um, I also live with someone who doesn't like soup doesn't like wet food so that tends to be off the table um doesn't like wet food I, as like a, a description like, wet food. Yeah, like like a right like a like trace dips. of a dish anything wet he's just out no no like dips in soups uh-huh okay. you know yeah. otherwise a great eater i mean there's not back in the day you know i do like a good like charcuterie but now i don't eat you know i don't eat mammals right now i might come back to it i'm just going through this phase and finally though back in the day beef tartare with an egg yolk and (laughs) you know that is that is that that's uh, we are going to get that 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 is always but i think you and me and then you know eric too 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at all these dishes, Kevin, like these are some of my greatest hits. I love a good brisket. I love a good short rib. I love some foie gras. Duck legs, give it to me. Like all of this, Kevin, this whole entire elimination challenge, I was salivating, dripping out of my mouth. I was so hungry after watching this episode. Everything looked so good. And I'm wondering, what was the thing that jumped off to you the most of all of these dishes? Which one were you like, oh, yeah, that that I'm ordering right now. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. I mean, again, if I'm putting aside my current restriction, I've got to say, I agreed. I think, like... A fig glazed short rib, if it is tender, is just perfect. And, and and again, I'm not doing it right now, but uh, I actually, you know, I, I like sort of bright beans. I like like favas and wax beans if done correctly. I think there there's a great disparity. Like I, I think really good beans done well are wonderful. And I think like crappy beans are not done well, can, are just joyless. But um, I, I thought his dish looked the best and apparently tasted the best, but they were all excellent. Excellent. This was classic top chef where I, I really think like a minor, a minor detail is going to send someone home. And as I'm watching, I'm just saying, you know, I don't know who's going home. I don't like, I it very rarely does a chef go home for having something that's too salty. Um, I always think that it's a lack of seasoning and Tom Colicchio right. had mentioned many times in this episode, either, you know, didn't have enough salt or didn't have, have enough pepper. Like it was very classic Tom Colicchio. But I think um, going into this elimination with Jen's um, Chev mousse um, with mushrooms, she had the duck legs with frog gras. I'm just sitting here like all of these dishes – the crowd seems to love e- each of them. If you know I had to- I'm switching, I am switching with duck leg and foie gras. I mean, I don't know how I, <laughs> I, I, I am. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I eat it so much now that I, it, it's sort of, 
is demystified, but I think you're – I'm, I'm, I'm going to switch right now. I, I, I didn't say I forgot about it, but I forgot how good it was and just the components there. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. So good. So, um, yeah. So they go to the elimination, um, to the judges' table. All of them come out. And at this point, I think I'm thinking Michael Voltaggio is winning. Um, I know that I they, I, I know that they dinged him for the, the, the weird texture on the egg, but I just thought he was rolling from the quick fire. He just seemed like he was in his element. The crowd was basically worshiping him. Um, I, I thought that was a, I thought it was going to be Michael's. I did too. And I actually also thought Kevin might go home for ropiness. Because mm. I do think there is a did you nail the protein quality to this show, and we've always talked about it. I mean, did you nail did you nail the protein is still especially when you get to the later rounds, and there aren't that many technical errors, and there aren't that many bombs. It is still a very very important thing. I really thought the ropiness would send him home, and I really am surprised. I mean, the one thing is, I'm actually shocked that he did it. Just because you just need time, you know you're going to run into problems. You can sell it as, oh, the toothiness or whatever he called it. Um, whereas, you know, I, th- I think one of the impressive things about Brian Voltaggio was, I'm just going to take it off the bone. Like, I know the bone has added value. I mean, there's something really succulent when the bone is sort of part of the braise because it just, it, it releases even more. But he, he, you know, Brian Voltaggio made a very mature decision. He's like, look, Whatever whatever value I lose on not having the bone, I'm going to make it up because I just kind of reduced my clock. Um, and I and I thought that was just really smart. In some ways, I'm sort of glad he won based on that decision, which I just thought was crafty. I do want to do a braised meat. I don't have time to do exactly what I want. Let's make lemonade and get rid of the bone. Let me ask you a question, Kevin. If a dish is presented to you on a menu and then they say – you can have this meat with the bone. What dollar amount are you adding to that with bone dish as opposed to just a naked meat there? I have right, I, like I, I ri- gain a lot of satisfaction from from having the bone on my plate. What about you? I, I do too, and I, you know, ribeye would be the most common here. I mean, here's my only problem. Like, I want to pick it up and gnaw. Yeah, and I yeah. do think there's still a stigma at a certain kind of restaurant where if you start going brontosaurus, people look at you funny, right? Like I just – like if I'm at home and I have – and I love bone-in ribeye and I make them at home um, when I made steak here. It's just I want to freaking clean that thing. I want to be like a dog and it's just uncouth. I tend not to – you know, I tend to be one of these people who doesn't really – especially in my – early middle age that doesn't give a shit what people think or what they see like i'm just not as self-conscious as i used to be but still that's one that in the wrong company just repulses people right like there are only a few people in my life you among them where i'd even feel comfortable in a restaurant just picking up the the ribeye bone and doing that so what i'll often do or what i often did take the bone home say it's <laughs> take the it, bone it's a go. home and then get home and gnaw on it, right? Because I just that, – that that fat and meat that is just close to the bone is really the best stuff. Oh, that's so funny you do that. I've never heard – that's amazing. Like 
if someone offered me like oxtail but without the bone in it no what do you want yeah no. come on like it's it, it's part of the whole fun is like getting that gelatin like that that fatty uh it's so right much in the middle fun. you know in the oxtail that little part in the middle that little gelatinous marrow that's Mar- kind of sitting there yes in the once you find the 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 glory that is marrow when you have you, you, you kind of ascend to a place in your life where you're like yeah i'm eating that marrow and it's just the most decadent fatty uh it's butter it's nature's butter. Yeah. And I'm like, man, how do people not eat bone or like enjoy having a, a big old bone from the Flintstone era on their plate? I think it's awesome. Like if I'm – Kevin, we should do a restaurant. It should be Brontosaurus. It should just have dishes that you can be caveman in there. I would love to yeah. have a restaurant way, that has that as its theme. We, well, You should come. When you come out here, Nancy Silverton's Kispaka is very much what you're talking about. Get your hands dirty and let's go. Yeah, it's meat. Um, The one thing I really miss cooking since I went on this thing is I miss braising oxtails. I just, I mean, first of all, it's just not that hard and it's so satisfying. You just like, and I braise those things for seven hours at a low temperature. I think you've come over to my house and had my braised oxtails. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's delicious. You get put grits under it. Like that's just that's one of my favorite meals to prepare, and I just obviously don't do it anymore. Um, and also, I mean, the truth is, is to your point, a really good oxtail, the bone shouldn't even be an issue because it just falls off. Yeah. Right. Like in that, that's what you want. But, uh, I'm with you. I'll always take the bone. It's, it's satisfying. Like a tomahawk pork chop. Now that's some fun. So much fun. Um, yeah. so I, that was a little bit of a tangent because when, when he has to make that decision of, I'm not including the blow, the bone, I'm like, Ooh, that's a risk. Cause I think people generally like to have that aspect to their dishes. So um, so he gets actually the W Brian Voltaggio goes to the back room. He gets his, his win. Um, he, it, that's gotta be super satisfying considering how good Michael Voltaggio was that day to get the win at that stage of the game. Of course he wants to win the next challenge, the championship challenge, but man, that that's gotta feel really, really good for Brian Voltaggio to go into the back room and leave Michael, Kevin and Jen to roast in front of the judges. Yeah, I mean, and again, on a on a week where you know whoever's going home, like you might go home even with a great dish. I mean, that that's got to be stressful. Is when you're not, you know, it's always a bummer not to win. Yeah, you're competitive, you want to win, but when you're down to four and you know nobody really screwed up, like if I'm Kevin, I'm terrified on based on the ropiness. Like I, I've got to believe he must have thought that he was going home. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the Ropa Vieja doesn't really play in this particular, con- you know, <laughs> in this kind con- we ain't, we ain't doing, it's not a Cuban, uh, restaurant challenge, but I, and again, I was really shocked. I was shocked that he didn't. You know, oh, he didn't so lose. you were, yeah. You thought he was going home. Yeah. Well, just when they started talking about the duckiness and I know, you know exactly what they're talking about. That sort of perfect. It retains some of its gaminess. But it's still just sucking. I mean, one of the things about duck breast that's because I've given up this meat, which I've now mentioned like five times yeah, in the last on. 10 minutes. Enough already. You're making me feel bad. Is, no, no, no. Duck breast, I get all my steak fix. Like a really good duck breast to me is like steak. And when I do it here, it, that's where I get my fix. If I can eat that for a long time, I don't need to go back. Yeah. 
on, on, on stage. I mean, duck breast just is so good. And she nailed it. You know, it's your main, it's your protein. I, I'm not saying that Kevin should have gone home again. As we always say, you don't taste the food, you don't know. But she nailed the duckiness on the protein. His had a, a ropiness. It just, I, I'm shocked. I mean, that must have been really salty, that starter. Yeah, the flake salt. I've never, I don't know that term, but apparently it's a little finicky. Um, she, I mean, if I'm going to go home, Kevin, I'm going to go home for being overseasoned, you know? Yep. I, it's like in golf, they always make sure you don't leave a port, uh, uh, putt short. And it's because you got to go for it. Got to go for it. Never leave the putt short. And so she didn't leave the putt short here. She salted it. Um, overseasoned apparently, but I, I feel like she can feel at peace with the fact that she overseasoned a dish because I would just hate to go home because I didn't add enough salt. And I'm a guy who is, who, you know, is eating Kalamata olives, salt, a salted Kalamata olive because I just love salty food. Like I just love salty food. I just, I just um, felt I bad have- for Jen there. When people ask me my favorite food, I say salt. <laughs> yeah. I, it just is. I, like I'll go out to dinner with some friends and they'll be like, oh, uh, what do you think about that dish? I'm like, oh my God, it's so good. And they're like, oh, I thought it was it was unbearably salty. And I'm like, oh, I, that's why I loved it. It was so – it was a salt bomb. And again, oh. Kevin, you and I have very, very similar palates here because I probably would eat Jen's dish and just say that was the best dish I ate. Um. So, I mean, or, uh, closing on this, I have to ask you some advice about something that's coming up in my life that's food-related. Um, if we're done talking finale or not, I mean, let, let's talk. I mean, let's do a little preview. Let's do a little preview. So we got we got uh, Brian, Kevin, and Mike, Michael Voltaggio. What are what, what are you what are you looking for? What are your keys to the game, <laughs> Tom Haverstrow? Keys to the game. Don't don't think creatively over flavor. I think he's getting a little bit inside his head about Kevin. I think Kevin in his latest dish was called a study of simplicity. And and Michael Voltaggio continues to harp on the fact he hates it. He hates it. He thinks it's it's amateur hour, you know? And I think he might get over his skis a little bit is just thinking I got to take my food and go next level. Think like light years ahead. Um, Think meta with my dish because you know what? I'm going to separate myself from Kevin. I think it's the opposite. I think, I think he almost needs to peel it back a little bit. Mm. Michael Voltaggio, because I think he's overthinking it. So if I'm going into this championship game, my scattering report on Michael Voltaggio is lean in, like egg him on with his creativity because I think he might get a little ahead of himself. See, I would say my concern for Kevin going – he would be the person I'm most concerned about, not because it's not going to be great. But you just know one of those other two Voltagios are going to nail their four courses. And where I think he might get into trouble, Kevin, is they say, we love your food. It was delicious. It was homey. You did amazing things with simple ideas. But it's just not innovative enough. Right. Like, like is, do they put a ceiling on Kevin? Um, because there isn't just that transcendent ambition that you see with a Voltaggio. And I'm, you know, that is kind of the thing I would worry about with Kevin. They tend to reward technical cooking at the biggest moments. 
right? They tend, particularly, uh, particularly Tom Colicchio, he wants to see you stretch. He will totally appreciate, as you said, the sort of uh, brilliant simplicity uh, for, a, for a salad, for a starter. But I think he wants you in the finest, biggest salad. It's never going to hurt you. Um, because there are always going to be errors and, and other play, and, and Kevin just executes. He just executes. But that would be my concern. Now, he has shown it's so interesting now. One of the other pleasures of this season for me, Tom, is watching Kevin 10 years prior, right? Like, like what Kevin does now, when we saw on the All-Stars was, oh, shit, he not only carried his, like, comfort food, but now he knows how – he will give you the best of both worlds. He will not – he will not compromise the hominess, but he will dazzle with a little twist of innovation that he probably didn't have competently in his tool shed in this season. Man, if I were to choose a favorite, I mean, I think you're right is that Kev- – well, We know who wins and we're just not spoiling it. Yeah, but I'm thinking going into this blind, I think you're right is that Kevin is so different than the other two. That it almost works against him because I think in the heart of hearts, people want to see Michael and Brian go go head to head for the finale, right? Um, and they do not similar foods, but they have a certain style to them that is different than Kevin. I think Kevin, if we're just going on flavor, he probably is going to win. But if we're going on presentation and inventiveness like it's probably going to be one of the other two so if i'm going to pick based on their ability to perform at a high level give you the best tasting food i'm i'm probably going to go with kevin but if if the whole senses the whole all the sensory overload um you know you can't just be a one tool player i think it's brian or, or michael has to be considered the favorite going into this finale yeah i mean it'll it'll be interesting to see um, so Tom, I, uh, I will have to be on liquid food for about seven to 10 days. And then for several days after that, like really soft food, um, I'm having this really bizarre, like palate throat surgery that is going to be miserable. Um, and, uh, it's been very interesting to sort of plan my menu. I ordered like all this bone broth from a chicken farmer in Florida. I, I really like to say, uh, stock up you on know? some bone broth. But man. the real fun has been, I am doing some jello parfaits. Did you as a kid have the parfait, the bottom layer is pure jello. The middle layer is a jello cool whip combo and then cool whip on the top. So you get the three tiers. I'm doing that, and I also ordered. Wait, wait! You're getting it like Jello brand, or you're you're doing oh, like yeah, an elevated version? Jello. No, you need stuff that slides down your throat. I mean, Jello, I think, from what I understand, is the least painful food. Just swallowing kills, and that means swallowing water, swallowing anything. Um, people get readmitted after day four or five of the recovery for hydration issues. Um, and the other thing I did is again because I, I I don't allow myself to have a lot of junk over the course. Like I have, there's an ice cream place I really like in Los Angeles. Every two weeks we allow ourselves to go or I will. Um, but I also ordered pumpkin spice jello pudding, which is very hard to find. You have to go to kind of a collector pudding site to get this. Not these but days. There's ordered, pumpkin spice everywhere, my man. No, but I'll tell you, man, like, like go find yourself some pumpkin spice jello pudding. It's not easy. And now we're going to a kind of a superstore next Monday a before I go in on Wednesday. Store? 
basically a place in the burbs that doesn't exist in Los Angeles where you can just get middle to lowbrow food. Because I'm just, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it, man. I'm just going to, first of all, I'm going to lose weight so I can actually eat what I want. Like Eric's going to go out for a Shake Shack or other milkshakes for me every other day. Like I have to do, you can't just subsist on sugar because A, it's inflammatory and B, I, I think even I will be like, all right, enough is enough. Give me something sort of savory, which is where the bone broth comes. But like, I'm actually fascinated to see how I handle this pretty much seven to 10 days liquid only. And then four days, like kind of ri- like wet eggs, speaking of wet eggs, maybe oatmeal, hummus. I, I don't know. Like, but this is, this is honestly, I feel like I'm going into a top chef eating challenge. <laughs> like chefs, you can only make food that is essentially liquid and pudding. Um, it sounds pretty great. I used, I used to do like the, the uh, split. So I had like the, um, the chocolate and the vanilla jello like mix. Um, I don't think it works, but I also, I don't know if you did this, Kevin, I don't think it works for you. In fact, I am pretty sure it definitely doesn't the, um, goober grape. Oh, I love goober grape. I love goober grape. Um, it's going to be tough. Like I'll say I have to watch like acid, acidic food. Um, and also I think so that tomato bisques that are out it, tomato, anything. I mean, what I want to do is there's this place that, you know, like gold belly. Have you seen gold belly where all these like, like kind of you know classic the best pizza and the best like deli food will ship anywhere and it's like you know if you're kind of a um and there's this place that does like lobster bisque in um massachusetts and i think i'm gonna get like a big carton of that ship um because that to me would be sort of good but it's just a weird mind fuck everybody says it like apparently there's this point where you need cold food the first seven days, and then it flips on you, and now the cold food kills, and you have to go warm, which is just the weirdest freaking thing. Um, there also might be hydromorphine in my future, which is very exciting. What, what is I think that? If it, I mean, it's morphine. <laughs> like, and if it gets really it's just bad, liquid, liquid morphine. Yeah, I guess. Like, I'm I'm totally ignorant to this. I mean, I think I get started on Norco. You know, basic painkillers take for every four to six hours, but I don't think it's enough. Like apparently you go, you go harder. And so I'm wondering if I get to venture into the world of hydromorphine and Dilaudid. Um, oh, Jesus. I'll just tell so, you, I know people who've been on Dilaudid and it is, it is, it is a tough one to break. So always be careful. Gotta be careful on the Dilaudid. Um, because the thing is, I don't know where I'd go to get it. Like, like, and also, I, I mean, I have a good surgeon, so I think like. I'll tell I can it's a guy I can tell like look man I like the Dilaudid a little too much like what do we do <laughs> yeah. you know so yeah uh, but what what is what is the thing that um what is the like the bone broth that you're going for is 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 beef bone broth is it no no chicken chicken I'm not doing the beef but you're not doing that it's, yeah yeah it's this place the Circle C Farm in Florida is where I get a lot of my chicken I do get I get some of it from Porter and York in Washington State which is a great farm I recommend it. Because I get those airline breasts that I like. But I get a lot of my thigh meat and thighs um, from Circle C, this little family farm in Florida. And they've got like they ship bone broth in the in the um, in the mason jar. Because one of the things is I like I went on Amazon, a lot of these like upscale boutique artisanal 
like pouches of bone broth you get are expensive, man. Mm. Like they want like sixteen bucks for sixteen ounces. It's like I'm not doing that. Give me the wholesale. Like I don't need the boutique right. stuff. Just go to the go to the butcher or go to the the, the farmer yeah. and just get it wholesale. Well, you know, our our, our friend in um, Philadelphia uh, kind of taught me to do it. I might add a little a neat like kind of go with the pho flavor profile. Mm. You know, once I get the plain chicken broth, because like, what do I do with the chicken broth once I get it? Um, I don't know how much salt you're allowed to have, though. Like, I think, like, does salt hurt the wound? I don't know. I'm getting, I have to get my tonsils out as part of this thing. So, which, yeah, it's isn't miserable. that a thing that kids get, get their tonsils taken yes. out? There's a reason right. adults don't get it. It's because it's torture. And so um, I, I've been having fun feeling sorry for myself, but also sort of saying, okay, there's gallows humor and what am I – what shit am I going to eat that I never get to eat? Pudding, milkshakes, stuff that just – I stay away from just because I'm I'm vain essentially <laughs> and I can't metabolize it at, at age 47. It's just I can't do it anymore. All right. So we came up with the sports writer challenge. Maybe we'll see how this goes. But the uh, the the Arnovitz surgery, right? Throat today surgery, chefs. Today, chefs, we're reeling you're out, be Kevin. serving fifteen patients who had tonsillectomy. <laughs> They're all high on hydromorphine, and they can't eat solid food. Actually, this is what I'm pitching to Tonsillectomy. This is it, man. You have drugged out tonsillectomy patients, and that is the challenge. Okay, oh, we've got it. to write Tom. This is it. Like, this is it. This is it. This is it. Uh, and then, like, like you know, celeriac puree with a... So does that mean Padma, Gail, and Tom are going to be hopped up on painkillers? Just as no, part I of the... No, I think you have to, like... I mean, it, I guess... I guess I think you have they to just let have the to trust the, the, the tonsillectomies. Well, no, they can still judge, right? Like they can still – it's like the stoner food truck one, right? Like the hangover one that they did years you know, years ago. I, I think they can still – like they know how to judge soup. They know how to judge purees. You know, I think um, – I mean essentially it's a baby food challenge. So um, – but yeah, you just get a bunch of tonsillectomy victims <laughs> and just – they judge it. This is great. What do, Well, we can leave off on that note, but I, I would be remiss if we did not – mention the where are we now where are they now jen carroll edition oh, she's been yeah. on the show a bunch of times but just a quick jen shout carroll, out where is she now she's on she's on pack your knives and she's doing great work um i get her updates on patreon i recommend you become a jen carroll patreon subscriber a patron um there's also like really useful recipes i mean everything from sauces to um like quick fix type stuff so i i really recommend that and you know she's doing great work in philly and um Go listen to some of our past episodes if you want to know where she is now. Yeah, eatccc.com, eatccc, that's three Cs.com. And she's also got Spice Finch um, with her partner um, in Rittenhouse Square, Philadelphia. So go check it out. We will. Um, oh, by the way, I'm going to read a press release that just has come over. While we've been recording, Bravo Greenlight's Top Chef Amateurs – Hosted by Gail Simmons. I'm going to read this out. Bravo expands the James Beard and Emmy award-winning franchise with the green light of Top Chef Amateurs. Hosted by Gail Simmons, produced by Magical Elves, our favorite. I might. There's nothing better. The only thing better than magic are elves. Um, Bravo's newest culinary competition gives talented home cooks 
the opportunity of a lifetime to test their skills in the illustrious Top Chef kitchen. Um, and oh, wait, wait, unpacking their knives to step in alongside Simmons are Top Chef finalists and front runners, Chef Eric, Richard Blaze, Jen Carroll, Speak of the Devil, Shirley Chung, Stephanie Smarr, wow. Tiffany Derry, Joe Flam. Joe Flam will be in the building. Greg, Chef Gregory, Melissa King, current champion, Kwame, who doesn't love Kwame, Dale. Is this side, and, saddle, uh, side saddle to the new season of Top Chef? Because these are all contestants um, that I think are, are guest judges that are coming for that Portland season. I wonder if it's running concurrently and if you are late to the party. Kevin, we got to make this happen. You got to oh, be yeah. on well, Top what's Chef going on with Portland. Amateur. Tell us about Portland. Wait, what's going on? Tell us what's going on in Portland. I know they named it. I don't think we've talked about it. Um, you're saying all these chefs I just mentioned are going to be on the Top Chef Portland? Um, as guest judges. That can't be. Oh, as guest judges. Okay, sure. So, um, oh, the challenges in contention are the Seven Deadly Sins Challenge, the Aphrodisiac Challenge. Eric, I might have to go out for this. I might have to go out for this. I need to do more work. Like I really need to up my game. Like I need to spend months really digging in and getting better technically. So there's there's a there's a Stephen Curry. Um, there's a, there's a uh, what's it called? The Unlimited Tour or something like that, where he he goes on tour not with like five star recruits. You have to be like a one or two star recruit to get entry into his camp. And this is kind of what we're talking about here is you can't be someone who actually has worked in a in a in a restaurant before you have to have a, a right it's like the olympics right like you got to be an amateur right so like back in the day so yeah this you know we got to make it happen kevin all right i i'm gonna think long and hard about this i think i might want to do this i think i might want to do this tom the thing is i get really self-conscious <laughs> i don't know that like no and also those quick fires i mean i, I you know i'm not the quickest chef yet you know, although what? I did make dinner in an hour the other night, like from scratch, and that was a real. In fact, I mentioned it to Eric. I made homemade kung pao chicken, and uh, kind of a what I, the Asian kale we call it, like wasaki mirin and shallots, and then kind of let them, uh, you know, evaporate off. But uh, yeah, I mean, Kevin, right, you just we're need to know to a few this. general plays, X's and O's, and then riff. You just need some standbys that you can go in and know. All right. I've got eight dishes in my head. I can do some spins off of one of these dishes, no matter what they throw at me. And that way you're not having to reinvent the wheel every single time. You just have to have eight reliable old standbys. And then I think also knowing your techniques, right? Like if you can pan sear fish, right? Like if you know how to um, like do some sauces with, ingredients that are thrown at you right like i also think there's i'm with you like you got to have those back pockets but then i think you also know how to like what is the method right i can do fish three ways i can i can braise meat i know how to grill it like like i'm shitty at grilling fish i never get it right mm. well then don't do it we got it you know we're gonna have to talk to magical elves here see if we can we can patch it through all right. I'm still thinking about it. I think it is terrifying to be on TV as a contestant. I mean, I don't, you know. Do you hear yourself? Also, Do you, I've never heard you so gleeful when, until you found out about this. Don't forget. I don't. know, I know, but I'm having like real All right, all right. To be continued. I'm, <laughs> let me sleep on it. We're going to record our finale before my surgery. So um, we will continue. I want to think it over for 48 hours. Okay. Between this taping and the next. Okay, let's do it. 
All right. For Tom Habistro, this is Kevin Ornovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. <laughs> <laughs>